On Wednesday night, we brought you to this attention to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. The book of 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote in his human ministry here on the earth. Most people, or many scholars, believe he died at about the age of 61 years old. Possibly only 18 years from the time that he took off from Antioch to be a missionary. In those times, he spent much of that time preaching the gospel and being used of God around the world. He and Barnabas took off first, and then he and Silas went off again on a third missionary journey, taking Dr. Luke and, and uh, Timothy and others in their, in their missionary uh, work. God used him in a marvelous way. But at this time, he is sitting in the Mamertine prison. It's not comfortable. Winter is coming. He's cold. He left his coat in Carpus, and he's asking him to make sure you are Troas and want to bring my coat that I've left there. He doesn't have reading material. He, he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, would you bring the coat when you come? Would you come before winter? Would you bring the reading, the parchments? Would you bring the Word of God with you? I know it's difficult. Only Luke is with me. All the other folks are working with me, either have other assignments or they've gone back into the world. My friend, don't be in that second group. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. The reason people are not serving Christ the way they ought to is they're in love with their self. They're in love with the God of this world and this world. Don't. First uh, John tells us in chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the things of the world, the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And uh, there's just two choices on the shelf. You either live for God or live for self. You pick and choose for you. And I can't pick and choose for you. And I'm, I'm almost determined that I'm not going to find myself getting too stirred up if my brothers and sisters make their choices. I'm disappointed as I can be. I'll do my best to provoke you to love God and others more. But quite frankly, all of us are independent agents. We have a responsibility to please God. We have nothing to prove and only one person to please. And we need to take on personal responsibility. And you can encourage me, and I can encourage you if we'll stay on the high road of holiness and do what God wants us to do. Demas was a used-to Christian the rest of his life. All he could do is tell his grandkids, I used to serve God, I used to give, I used to, I used to go soul winning, I used to do this, I used to do that. That's what his whole story was. But he got caught up in the affairs of this world. He fell in love with this world. Don't be in that group. But here he is in a prison, and he writes this letter. Chapter 1, he gives him a personal challenge. He says, Timothy, remember your mama, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois? Remember when I saw you there in Lystra? And you saw me get beaten and stoned and left for dead? Do you remember laying standing over my, little, my body and seeing God help me? You see the difficulties I went through in that time? Remember the time that you were set apart for service and I put my hands on you with other people and they reminded you that God had a purpose for your life? Don't forget the purpose. Don't forget why you're sucking air in this world. Don't forget why your heart's still beating. Hey, listen, live up to what God called you to do. That's chapter one. Chapter two, he tells them, I want you to have these attributes. Be a teacher. The things that you've learned, you pass on to other people. Be a soldier. Live simply your life. Don't get caught up trying to take the things of this world, but please the one who puts you in the army of the Lord. Be a soldier. Be selfless. Don't think about yourself. Soldiers, they don't go to for their freedom as much as they do. They fight for the freedom of someone else. He said, be a, be a farmer. Be faithful and be fruitful in the work that God's called you to be in. He said, don't be, don't be alarmed by suffering. 
Difficulties are going to come. Don't be afraid of my chain or ashamed of my chain. Don't, don't get upset. Realize you've got to put on your big boy britches and continue on for the Lord. Don't weaken out. Don't get upset because someone rejects you or someone doesn't understand you. They don't reject you. They're rejecting the Lord. And he says, be a student. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He challenges him. Timothy, study. Be ready to give an answer of those who ask you why you believe like you do. Open your Bible. Know what your Bible says and be able to tell people. Not, this is what my pastor says. This is what our church believes. Forget about that. Take them to the Bible. Take them to the Scriptures. Study and know what the Bible says. Listen, if you haven't taken discipleship, take it. Start tonight at 5 o'clock right over here. Start Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Come back next Sunday morning, 9.45. Meet me in my office. Let's study the Bible. I thank God for those who were there this morning, but others ought to do that. If you've done level one, take level two. If you're not in a Sunday school class, get in a Sunday school class. Everybody ought to be studying the scriptures and learning personally and, and corporately as a church family. He said, study. He said, be a clean vessel. Keep yourself clean. There's three things you have to do for yourself. I have to do for myself. I have to walk with God for myself. No one else can mop up that mess. If I don't do it, my wife, she loves me, I love her, but she can't walk with God for me. I've got to do that for myself. Number two, I've got to play my family role for myself. I'm my mother's oldest son. She has three other boys, she has two other daughters, but I have a role that's special to my mom. That's my family role. I'm a brother to my siblings. I'm a father to my children. I'm a husband to Linda. My family role is something I must take care of. And if I don't do that, there's no one else around to mop up my mess and my failure. Number three, I've got to be pure for myself. John tells the beloved, keep thyself pure. It's not your job to keep me pure. It's my job to keep me pure. If you're not pure, don't blame God. Don't blame your youth pastor. Don't blame your teacher at school. Don't blame your, your, your lame brain, other people you want to blame. It's your fault. If you're a pervert, it's your fault. If you're living outside the realms of God's, God's, uh, God's dictates, it's your fault. If you're addicted to pornography, that's something you can fix. Anything God tells us to do, He can help us do it. He wants us to do that. He said, listen, walk with God for yourself. Play your family role for yourself. Make sure that you're pure yourself. He says, Timothy, you're a young man, but purge your vessel." Keep it clean. Don't be spotted with this wicked world. You're in the world, but don't be of the world. And then he tells him, be a servant. And the servant of God must not be strived, but be gentle with all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, that they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Basically, tell them, a servant of God must work with others. You're shepherding someone. You're supposed to be helping somebody else uh, to, to be instructed in the things of God while God works in their heart to bring repentance, to acknowledge of the truth that they can have the freedom that they need. Everybody ought to take someone else as your personal spiritual responsibility. Every Sunday school teacher ought to be burdened for their class. Everyone who goes to a Sunday school class ought to be burdened with their teacher to help that class. You're either a missionary or a mission field. And it's sad to me when people have been saved for 30 years and their Sunday school teachers are still trying to call them to get them to know if they're going to be there on Sunday. That'll be a wonderful day in your life when no one has to wonder if you're going to be there on Sunday. 
No one has to wonder if you're going to be in Sunday school, you're going to be in church, you're going to be there on Sunday night, you're going to be on Wednesday night. You just decide, you know what? God is going to be the center of my schedule. You're going to be able to tell by my schedule, you're going to tell by my bank account who matters most to me. Don't be a mission field. Be a, be a missionary. You, you find someone and say, Lord, who in this planet does God want me to shepherd and to help them grow as a servant of Christ? And then he turns to chapter 3, and he gives him another challenge, not just a personal challenge and a practical challenge, but he gives him a perilous day challenge. For those of you who were not here Wednesday night, let's look at it real quickly. It reads just like the Chicago Sun-Times first right now. This reads just like the Northwest Indiana Times. It's, it's where we live. And he says to them in verse number 1, look at verse number 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. He said, Timothy, understand, get this deep inside of you, you are going to be living in perilous, dangerous times. You know why? Because sin makes times dangerous. <laughs> and last days are any days from the time that Jesus went back to heaven until now. Paul lived in the last days. I live in the last days. Uh, Billy Sunday lived in the last days. Uh, the other men and women of God, the Anabaptists, and all those folks throughout the years of time, they live in the, they live in the last days. I live in the last days. But listen, in these last days, it's going to get perilous. Why? Because sin is going to be a problem. He gives us 18 sins. Let's look at them real quickly. And then we'll go to the solution I think God gives us. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Selfishness is going to be one of the major sins of the end times. Covetous, wanting more. Boasters, bragging. Proud, arrogant. Think about more what they think, what they feel, what they want. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Just do not have the natural love for family, for, for mankind, truce breakers, break their word, false accusers, people who make up stuff and negatively say things that are hurtful to, about other people, like the devil does. That's his, that's his job. Incontinent, they cannot control themselves. They're addicted to everything. Fierce, mean, despisers of those that are good. Seems like right is wrong, wrong is right. Verse 14, traitors, heady cocky, high-minded, think they're better than everybody else, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, more full of just when's the next party rather than what does God want me to do, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, wanting to, to put in the traditions of godliness but they have no clue what they're doing and the power of the gospel is avoided. They don't mind singing the songs, don't mind singing amen and amen, brother, amen. But when it comes to giving out the gospel, they deny the power of the gospel. The gospel ought to be played out in us. In Philippians chapter 1, the Bible tells us, let your conversation, the way you live, be about the gospel. We're not just here to sit around and pat each other on the back and say, good to be Christian, isn't it? We're here to take that same Christianity and let people know about Jesus. Give out gospel tracts, talk to people, pray for the lost, witness to your neighbor. Every conversation ought to be with a stranger with the effort to try to take them to the gospel of Jesus. He said, you have a form of godliness. We don't mind going to church. We don't mind having a Sunday school class. We don't mind singing the songs and, and even having the prayer time. But it should translate to getting people the gospel of Christ. Romans 1.16, he tells us that, that uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
Why? It's the power of God. I'm not the power of God. You're not the power of God. Singing is not the power of God. The offering is not the power of God. Baptism is not the power of God. The Word of God, the gospel is the power of God. It just needs to be shared. It needs to be shared. Someone was sharing the gospel this week, and a lady, lady said, uh, she kind of start sharing the gospel with you, and she said, I want peace. I'm, I just feel like I want to kill myself, and I just want to... And they begin to share the gospel, and the lady said, huh, is it hot in here? I'm getting so hot. Oh, stop, stop. I'm getting so hot. What she was going through is what? Conviction. The lady who's witness to her said, no, it's not getting hot in here. She goes, no, it is. I know it is. Yeah. It's going to get a lot hotter if she didn't come to Jesus. <laughs> but there's conviction going on. The power of God, I remember witnessing to people, and sometimes agnostics or atheists, I remember talking to a guy, his name was Adolf. He kept interrupting me. I was witnessing to two other people, and he kept stepping in and saying, That's, that book's a bunch of fairy tales. I don't know why you listen to that guy. I said, Adolf, let me talk to you for a few moments. And I began to talk to him because he wouldn't let me talk to the other two people, and I began giving him. I said, well, you know, the Bible says this. The Bible says, and I, I, took, I had a New Testament. I opened my Old Testament. I said, well, you know, the Bible says this. And after about a few minutes, he was getting hot, and I was getting hotter. He said, would you just close that book? It's getting on my nerves. I said, you know why it's getting on your nerves, Adolf? Because it's not a fairy tale. It's a lie. It's real. And what he was hearing about the gospel was aggravating him. And the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay, but it does something to everyone. And I don't want to just have the power of the gospel. I don't want to have just a form of godliness. I want to really have it played out. I want my life to be the gospel. I want the word of God to be shared verbally. Use your mouth. Get in a conversation. Talk to people about Christ. Don't walk away without sharing something about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Let's continue on if we can, please. The Bible tells us from this group, he said, verse number, verse number five, he says, turn away from these folks. Don't spend a lot of time with the folks that have all these attributes. It's dangerous. Get away from them. It's a perilous situation. But from this selfish group of sinners come immoral sinners. The sort, verse 6, that creep into houses and lead captive silly women, wicked women, laden with sins, led away with their own diverse lusts, and then ever learning, never come to the knowledge of the truth. Just, they're just searching, always trying to find something new, and they can't. They, they, they ignore the truth. Just like Janus and Jambres, the, magic, the magicians in Egypt, verse number 9, but they shall perceive no further. There is going to be an end to the sinful sin. The wages of sin is that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin when it's finished, bringeth forth every sinful society, every sinful human being. You keep going that way, you're going to find a lot of things are going to die. Opportunities are going to die. Blessings are going to die. Things are going to wind down in a bad way. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to die the second time and spend eternity separated from God. God is trying to tell us that sin is serious and it will be stopped. But in the meantime, verse number 10, Paul says, Timothy, here's a few things. Here are four things that a perilous day needs. Number one, they need 10-year Christians to live out the Christian life and the attributes of Christ. Look, if you would please, at verse number 10. Would you read it with me, everyone together? But thou hast fully known faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. You'll add two more, persecutions and afflictions in verse number 11. If you 
are over 30 years old in this room, would you raise your hand if you're 30? If you're over 35, would you raise your hand? Okay. I want to just say, how many have been saved more than 10 years? Would you raise your hand? You've been saved more than 10 years. Praise the Lord. Good. The Bible tells us that the average person gets about three score and 10, 70 years to live on this planet. If by reason of strength, God gives you more years than that, congratulations. You can look forward to toil and sorrow. If you don't believe it, ask an 85-year-old person. They'll tell you. It is really rough. Right, Brother, Brother Colson? Are you all on that one right there? Thank you for waking up, Brother Colson. No, it's, it's not easy. So, but, if, but if you know what he said, if you are a... And, and Paul here, possibly, I don't know if it's true or not, He's 61, 62 years old. He's getting ready. He says, my time and my departure is at hand. He goes, I'm getting ready to check out. I'm getting ready to leave this world. And he is on his last few days of living. And he says, one of the things that can help you in a perilous time is I want you to remember my life. I want you to remember how I believed how I lived, how I loved, how I practiced what God wanted me to do, how I went through difficult times. Those of you who are 35 and older in this room, you're on the second half of your life. You've got more life behind you than you do in front of you. Can I tell you something that we need from you? To keep on living out the Christian life. Let the young people know you're not going to quit. You may not be what you used to be, the old gray Marian, what she used to be. You may not be as strong as you used to be, but you're going to be faithful and do what you can do as long as you can do it. And you're not going to quit believing the right thing in doctrine. You're not going to quit living the right way in your manner of life. You're going to keep on practicing and obeying the same God. You're not going to change your spiritual standards of holiness. You're not going to get to a place where you get so smart, you're smarter than God. You're going to really continue doing the right thing. And the thing that he challenged Timothy with, he says, listen, in this time, it's going to slow down. The deceivers and those who are being deceived are going to come to a, a, a halt. But in the meantime, you've been watching me, haven't you, Timothy? You, you fully have known what I've taught. You've known how I live. You've known my purpose. That's the Bible word there. Purpose is a good word. You've known how I live my life with, with purpose. You know how I practice. You know how I went through some difficult times, some persecution, and some affliction. But he said, you know what? You're going to need this. And let me just say to you, those of you who have been around for a while, and, and you find yourself just thinking, well, I'm not important to the church anymore, or I'm not important to people, somebody is watching you. And in perilous days, we need some folks who have been out in front for a while doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reason, for a long time. Some of us, as we get a little older, well, I just don't have the energy. I understand that. What you can't do with energy, do with some urgency. If you can't do it with your energy, do it with your checkbook. What you cannot do with the same, uh, the same urgency and energy you once did, find something you could do. And remember, your grandkids are still need you. Young people still need you. 
They don't, see a, they don't need to see another 37-year-old go wacky. They don't need to see another 60-year-old just forget about going to church. When they could do what they're supposed to do, they're just not anymore. Those of us who have opportunities to continue serving the Lord, it's one of the things a perilous day needs. It needs someone who, who knows what's right to do to keep on doing what's right to do and let it be obvious. I just don't want to be judged. Forget that, Spanky. That's over with. Your life ought to be, you know, the Bible tells us we ought to submit ourselves to our Sunday school teachers, our spiritual leaders, our moms and our dads. We ought to submit ourselves to spiritual leaders of pastors and assistant pastors and deacons. Why? Because we consider the end of their conversation. We consider how their life has lived it out. Some of us, we get very lazy and very loosey-goosey in the later part of our life, and it's grieves the Holy Spirit of God, and it hurts us and the younger generation in a perilous day. I want to challenge you. If you're in the balcony, you're in the main floor, I don't care what, what your name is. If you're a man or a woman, I don't care what your background is. Why don't you decide, you know what, if I can do something for a challenging day, I can make sure my light still shines. Instead of getting critical and complaining about everything going on, knock that off and find something to do for the Lord Jesus Christ was blessed to see a man in his 70s out yesterday and another man in his 80s out talking to people about Jesus. Many of us were 40 and we haven't done that in a long time. You were raised in a godly church in a godly home and you're just throwing it to the wind. I think in a perilous day we need some people who will do the right thing the right way for the right reason for a long time in your purpose, in your attitude, in your manner of life, in what you teach and even how you survive difficult times. The second thing he tells us here is that we need to be, we need to learn that it's not about, it's not a romper room. It's difficult. Look at the next verses, would you please? Look at verse number 11. Persecutions and afflictions which came unto me in, in Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, three places where he had tremendous pain inflicted upon him. What persecutions I endured but would you read the rest of the verse with me? But out of them all, yea, all that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Evil men and deceivers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Number two, understand and trust God's deliverance in challenging times of your life. I've said this a couple times in this particular series, and this is sad, but this is true. In about six months, we'll see, we'll separate the men and the boys. We'll separate who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ. This coronavirus has a way of doing that. Challenges have a way of, of separating us and saying, you know what, either I'm in or I'm not. That's why I believe that God's calling people to serve Him. If only 4% of the world's population lives in America, that means there's about 94% of the chance that you and I have to do something about the rest of the world. There's 94% chance that you and I ought to do something. If you can't go, you ought to give, you ought to pray, you ought to engage, you ought to encourage, do something. Don't be afraid. The only thing you're afraid about the will of God is missing out on it. I don't care if you're 14 or 41 or 71. If God has something for you to do and he does, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And understand, it's, it's a battlefield, brother. It's not a rock recreation room. You only got a few more years to live here. Don't live it dreaming about all the stuff you want to get. Dream about thinking about what you can do with God and for Him. 
Some of us, instead of getting ready to go and do some other thing, we always say, Lord, what can you send me in a world to do to do something to encourage somebody? What can I do with my life? What do you want to do with me? How can I make a difference in the planet and in the community and in the world that you put me in? It's exciting to serve. You know, when you serve God, you can always expect more than you can expect. It's always better. I kind of get sick of people saying, well, you know what? You just got to be able to take care of yourself. Don't want to starve to death. I want you serving God. You might just starve to death. Mom and dad, if you say that out of your mouth, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know, the best thing for your child to do is to serve Christ with his whole heart. He will not rip them off. He'll take care of them. And our whole theme of this year, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I was talking to a young man. He's in his uh, late 20s. When he was in high school and in college, all these guys who were in the youth group decided, you know, their folks were encouraging them. They were, you just got to take care of yourself. You got to be able to make a living. You got to be able to provide for your family, all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, they were called to serve the Lord, but they went off. And there's nothing wrong with going secular if that's where God wants you to go. Let the Holy Spirit of God stay engaged in your local church and stay involved in the work of the Lord, doing something, stay on the bus route, in a Sunday school class, do something for God, go to prayer meetings, do all you can do to keep yourself right. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I don't think everybody ought to be in full-time Christian work. I just think everybody ought to struggle with the possibility. But it's sad to me, and, and you know, during this coronavirus, that young man came and said, Pastor, I surrender myself to the Lord. I know I have not made what my friends have made. But I see them on Facebook, and they're miserable. They're standing there with cocktails in their hands and thinking that because they got a Budweiser leaving the high life, they're laid off from their jobs in New York City. And I've been working so much, I can't hardly keep up with them. God's given me a purpose, and he works on the bus route, and he's serving the Lord, and he's busy in the work of the Lord. God will take care of anybody. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. If you give me a small job to do, as long as I can do it for God, let me have it. Rather than live in a wicked, unsaved, miserable lifestyle. Young, young adults, listen. Don't get enamored with this world. You Sunday school teachers, you encourage your young people to love the Lord, to serve Him. They tell you, think if God wants me to, to preach, you ought to say, man, I'm with you, and I'll be praying for you. I'm going to write your name in my Bible. We're going to be praying that God will use you. You've got a seven-year-old in your classroom. They say, I want to be a missionary. You ought to begin praying for them right now. Praying, you ought to pray to your kids. God will take your kids and use them in a wonderful way. Don't hold them back. Love them. This is a perilous day we live in. I need someone to say, you know what? It's enough around just chasing my tail. I'm going to do something for God. And it may be difficult. It may not be easy. It's not going to be a beautiful way in every single thing. But if it's for God, it's worth it. Be willing to endure hardness. Tonight we'll talk about the last two things. And I think they're as, as equally powerful as it is to say, those of us who've been saved a little longer, a little bit older, keep on doing the right thing. A perilous day needs an example that we can follow of someone who doesn't quit. Someone who still has the right doctrine. They still have the right purpose. They still have the right testimony. They still, their distinction is obvious. And people who are willing to say, you know what? It may not be easy being a Christian and being a soul winner and standing for right. Doesn't have to be easy. We know that this world's going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know what the, all the, the mayhem is? People are deceived. 
They have no clue. The political environment, it's clueless. It doesn't even make sense. They don't have an anchor in the Word of God or the things of God. And all the people in this room and those of you who are watching by live stream, you and I ought to be someone who says, you know what, I'm anchored deep in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it may be hard, and I'm not in this thing, to be, to be comfort. You'll never serve Christ in your little comfort zone. You'll never be the Christian. I'll never be the Christian I'm supposed to be if I want everybody to just pat me on the head and, and, and just say, you're just a wonderful thing. Listen, a Christian is going upstream in a world that's going downstream. Any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes some, some internal strength from the Holy Spirit of God, inner man strength to continue on for the Lord. Would to God that you would be that way and I would too.